You are listening to the Hemp Startup Journey. My name is Jason De Los Santos, co-founder of Spectrum Labs, a hemp extraction facility in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm sitting down with hemp entrepreneurs, scientists, and politicians willing to share their perspectives, lessons learned, and how we can make an impact on the hemp and cannabis industry for everyone. Here and I just let me know when you're back on. I, I can't see your face right now. Yeah, my sorry, my I, I decided to use my phone because of, and and, um, and so someone there's a call that, that that came through. So I guess that was the problem. Sure. You know what? Um, so if that's I wonder if that's going to be an issue. Um, if you if you want to stay on your phone, you're you're more than welcome to. I would uh, put it on airplane mode and turn on the um, uh, Wi-Fi. That's a good idea. Thank you for for that. So I will, Wi-Fi is on, I'll put it on airplane for the, yeah, okay. Um, how does that look? Is that, so you can see yeah. me? Yeah. Okay, great, perfect. Look at that, okay. I, I learned something every day. <laughs> <laughs> just, just use me, I'm your tech guy. Yeah, that's right, man, that's my smart client. So, so. Um, okay, well, good. So um, whenever you're ready, I'm ready to roll. All right, good deal. So let's see. Recording, okay, great. Uh, Rod, great to see you as always. Uh, thank you for coming on the Hemp Startup Journey again. How are you? I'm great, Jason. It's really nice to be here. It's always fun talking with you. Good. So I'm happy to see you. I'm also displeased to see you because of the what we're going to talk about today. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you have a lot of people up in arms about uh, a couple of recent articles. So I really want to dig into yeah. that. Um, and let's see. So the just on my agenda here. And tell me if there's anything else that you wanted to go over. But I have three main things. So one is the uh, the issue about this is all regarding the DEA and the memo that the, right. the, they put out uh, maybe a, a week or two ago. And right. the three main things that stood out to me were about hemp extract that is above that has delta nine above 0.3 percent, and that right. them claiming that that's an illegal substance. Uh, the second right. one being about synthetic cannabinoids and delta eight specifically so there was another article that you wrote and then the third uh not necessarily on uh, the dea memo but just about the uh, about north carolina specifically and the hemp pilot program expiring here in about i think two months uh roughly so that is scary stuff so um, I figured that should be enough, topics. right? <laughs> That's a lot yeah. of good, a lot of good juicy stuff to dig into. So yeah, I'll, I'll, let's talk about all three of those. That okay, great. Good. So starting with the first one, and this is uh, really very relevant to me and, and my team here, being that we're extractors in, in Asheville. And uh, so you and I talked about this actually the very first time we met, and uh, you talked about the elephant in the room. Uh, so can you expand on this whole uh, work in progress hemp extract and what that means and how the DEA is talking about this in a way that they're saying like, oh, we, you know, you can't hold this, even if it's for a minute, an hour, a week. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't mind, I'd love to put it in a little bit of context as to what the DEA has done and why. Yeah. I've written some articles about it, um, but just for the for the viewing audience here. So the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, is a federal agency and federal agencies by and large are um, are or have jurisdiction to enforce certain statutes. In, in the case of the DEA, it has jurisdiction to enforce the Controlled Substances Act, which is the, the, the statute um, enacted by Congress back in the uh, early 70s that, that, has, that regulates drug compounds. And we don't have to go into a huge thing about scheduling and whatnot um, in, in this um, uh, podcast, but, but essentially the DEA regulates um, 
and, and enforces drug laws. And as we know, marijuana is a schedule one uh, drug, which is the most restrictive. There's, you know, according to the, to the statute, there's no uh, medical benefits to it. Uh, and it's highly addictive, neither of which is true, of course, uh, but that's where we stand. Hemp, on the other side, is, was, was a form of cannabis that was completely removed from the Controlled Substances Act. It is not a controlled substance. It's not a drug at all. And so these federal agencies will issue uh, rules. The, the USDA issued a, an interim final rule back last fall uh, in which it has the authority to, um, you know, to regulate certain aspects of hemp and hemp production. Well, this is the DEA's version. And the DEA says, oh, well, we're, we're going to um, issue our rules about hemp. Well, first and foremost, um, hemp is not a controlled substance. So what is the DEA doing to begin with? <laughs> you know, why is it even um, inserting itself? But, um, but more importantly, it has um, some problematic issues that we've talked about. And the issue that you've brought up is, is sort of the hot hemp extract issue. And what the DEA has said is, sure, we acknowledge, as it should, that hemp is, a, is lawful. It's not a controlled substance. However, if, if it ever, a hemp extract ever exceeds 0.3%, um, Delta 9 THC, then it is unlawful marijuana. And that's where we come in. That is unlawful and it's, it's controlled. And without some sort of um, authority from the DEA, then it, you're, you're dealing with, a, with an illegal controlled substance. Uh, I'll stop there. There are a lot of problems with that analysis that I'm happy to jump into. <clears throat> yeah. So in, you wrote an article, and I'll link to that in the show notes if anybody wants to read it, which I, I think everybody should. Um, so you, you talk about how the, the intent and I think maybe, I hope I'm not uh, paraphrasing it correctly, but the, the intent of Congress was to, uh, was that there would be processing and that there would be this work of progress uh, hemp, right? Or like this hot hemp. Like, is that how you, you came to that? Uh, yeah, that, that's exactly process? right. So, <clears throat> well, um, Congress, you know, enacted the, the farm bill with, with these hemp provisions. It was very clear that hemp itself is, is not a controlled substance. And it went on, it didn't just say hemp and that's it. It went on and it said hemp and all of its extracts, derivatives, isomers, cannabinoids, and so on and so forth. Well, it says extract. And so if you talk about extract, anyone who's been in the business and understands uh, even moderately how it works knows that, that, that extraction is where you're pulling the cannabinoids and maybe some other the goodies out of the hemp um, uh, flower and, and the biomass. And what that does by and large, and maybe almost exclude, uh, almost entirely, is to ramp up the percentages of the cannabinoids um, without actually um, increasing the quantity of those cannabinoids. And one of those cannabinoids is delta-9. And so most any form of processing to create an extract is going to spike the THC levels above 0.3%. In the DAA's eyes, that suddenly transforms it from a legal product to an illegal product, even if that process only occurs very briefly. <clears throat> and to really sort of flesh this out, let's kind of simplify things. Let's talk about uh, a situ the, the most sim the simple form of processing that exists, which is just trimming up your, your, your crop. So let's take the example of a farmer who is licensed by whatever state um, he or she is in, uh, who, who grows hemp, has it um, tested by the, the appropriate state authorities. The authorities say, yes, this is a lawful hemp plant. It contains no more than 0.3% Delta 9 THC great, let's go to harvest it. Farmer goes out to the field and takes that plant, which has been tested typically um, as a composite, which means that the, the, the testing agency will go out and clip usually the top third of the plant, it includes the stalk, uh, the fan leaves, the buds, the seeds, everything else that's all in there. 
takes that, grinds it up, sends it to an analytical lab to test it. Okay, well, great. So the farmer goes out and, and, and harvests that crop. Well, let's say the farmer's in the field holding that legal plant and says, well, really, you know, I, I'm not interested in the stalk or the seeds. That's not what my business is about. And really the leaves don't help that much. They're kind of low in cannabinoids. What I want is this bud, which contains all the, all the good cannabinoids. So take that, take the scissors, and you trim off the bud, drop the stalk and all that to the ground, and you're holding the bud. That is a form of processing. And guess what? That bud is likely to have more than 0.3% delta-9 THC. Certainly, with respect to percentages, the THC level, along with all the other cannabinoid percentages, have gone up because this is where the cannabinoids are. All of this heavy material, by and large, does not have meaningful concentrations of those cannabinoids. So that one step alone in the DEA's eyes could render that product um, and that one act as being uh, as, as turning it from illegal to illegal. And then, of course, that's not how processing typically goes, particularly for, for consumer products. You know, you send them in the, and, they're, and they're ground down to biomass and then they go through ethanol or, or CO2 or, or hydrocarbon extractions and sometimes isolations. And there's all these um, waste stream products and everything else um, and, and all of that. Um, it continues to exacerbate this problem by ramping up the percentage of THC without actually adding to the quantity of THC. And, and the position that I have, most of my colleagues have, is that the DEA is, is, is misinterpreting the law um, and, 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 and refusing to lose its grip on the cannabis plant where Congress clearly intended for extracts um, to, to be to be lawful. So again, I'll stop there. You ask a lawyer a question, and we'll talk for forever. Um, but that's <laughs> that is the problem in a nutshell, right. uh, and it's a problem that I think is profound for the industry. Yeah, I think that was a great illustration. I don't think I've ever thought about it that way. And it's one of those things where you know, but maybe you just don't don't put it in a certain context um, of just taking that bud and just taking away all the other stuff that doesn't. That so you're you're concentrating it essentially for your cannabinoids and yeah so and then that continues further it, when you're actually processing like you're saying with ethanol or co2 or any other method um i've funny enough i saw a post on facebook and on one of the uh, the um i forget what it's called farmer connections or something like that mm -hmm. hemp farmers someone looking for uh six to eight percent cbd biomass uh like two thousand pounds or something like that so i think people are trying to figure out if there's a way that they can process without going past that 0.3% at any stage, um, right. you know, which is challenging because, you know, it's, it's possible. Uh, I've been talking with my chemist about this. It's possible, but then the amount of work that you have to do to get that is so much more. So you're then increasing the cost and decreasing the, the yield. So, yeah, you know, who will be able to afford to do that? Yeah, it, it, it makes things just much more difficult. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the USDA and, and Congress are, are, are clearly trying to advance hemp and the, and the cannabinoids from hemp. Uh, we've got some, you know, the, the, the FDA is not being helpful. That's a whole different podcast and, and conversation. And now yeah. we've got the DEA that's really coming in and, and putting the brakes on things. It's, it's, it's crazy and it's difficult. And certainly there is, you know, you can, you can look at this from a, a, several different lenses. One lens is to say, well, once that hemp plant has been deemed hemp and lawful, then anything flowing from it uh, is legal. And, and that's a very viable and coherent position. Um, but, but even if we step back from that and, and this whole work in progress hemp, which is what I discussed in my article, you think, okay, well, um, if you've got the inputs, you've got the, you know, the hemp itself, the biomass is, is lawful, and you've got the output, maybe the, you know, the, the consumer product, say, that's lawful, no more than 0.3%. 
the the process that it goes through even if that spikes that's that's a often necessary but even to your point it, it even if it's not absolutely necessary it's certainly not cost effective usually right. um, to 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 keep all that below 0.3 percent uh, the DEA should be focused on diversion of illegal compounds to the public and clearly that's not what's happening in the, in the hemp industry uh, so it makes it really difficult and there are a couple of different ways that this plays out so one way is that as I said, you have the, the, the lawful input and the lawful output. In the meantime, there's somewhere in the machinery, just to kind of be general about it, you know, there's a spike. Um, that's, one, that's one way it plays out. Another way it plays out is that, say, you, you, know, you have a processor that just focuses on, say, producing crude or some other distillate. And so the, the legal inputs come in, it produces a crude or a distillate that's hemp, but it might be 3, 5, 8% THC which is not what the marijuana market's looking for. I mean, you know, someone who's actually looking for a marijuana oil is not looking for a 5%, you know, thing. Yeah. Um, but then that may be sold or, um, to another processor for further refinement. Uh, the third way that it plays out and affects processors is in the isolation process, where, where you're actually coming in and you're isolating different cannabinoids, and, and in particular, maybe you're remediating the THC, which is just, you know, technical term for just removing the THC. Well, then that processor, is certainly putting out CBD isolate or some sort of THC free distillate, but then they're in possession of this waste stream THC. And what do you do with that? You know, it's, it's, it's in, in, you know, maybe 55 um, gallon drums and, and what that processor is doing is actually removing the THC from what goes out to the public, but then they're holding on to this, this hemp derived THC and it, it, that creates a problem as well. So there are a lot of different ways that this plays out in, in processors, but none of which are, um, are good when you look at it through the lens of the DEA. Yeah, and that was that last point. Uh, we had a lot of conversation here at the office about that. And so we can, we can put in a solution that will make that unusable, but still at some point, even if for a few minutes or a few hours, we have Delta 9. Right. It right. Exactly. Even, even if, you know, it takes five seconds to render it unusable for five seconds, according to the DA, you know, you're, you're in possession of illegal marijuana. That's crazy. Right. I mean, yeah. that, that's not what Congress intended. That's that's not practical. And, and you know, most of my clients, well, all of my clients, I can't speak for the industry at large, but but I interact with with people in the hemp industry all day long, every day. And, you know, trying to pull out THC to divert it to the public is just not what's happening. People are yeah. wanting to do the right thing and, and create, you know, stay within the regulations and com create compliant products. Yeah. So I, I am certainly not an attorney. My, my personal opinion, and if anybody listening or watching, you should just go talk to Rod. Don't, don't listen to me. Um, is that th this is a I think something to be concerned of in the future. I don't, I don't know if I'm necessarily concerned about this just yet, uh, about this whole work in progress process. Uh, yeah. So, you know, um, I think that that's a really good point. So we talk about what, you know, we talk about a lot of things. So you talk about, okay, what does the statute say and what's a reasonable interpretation? And then you say, okay, well, what does the DEA say? And, and we, we disagree with the DEA's position, but it is the DEA's position. And, yeah. um, but then we talk about what is the DEA, the likelihood that the DEA will enforce this position. And we can see a, a lot of different things. We can see the DEA coming in and trying to use a lot of resources to, to, to do a raid on a processing facility. I, I, I don't think that's a high likelihood of happening. In fact, there was an article, um, I think at the LA Weekly or the LA Times, and I apologize, I don't recall, what, where there was an interview with a DEA agent, spokesperson, um, about this very issue. And the DEA said, we understand and recognize that this is um, causing a lot of concern in the CBD industry, uh, but we've got they didn't use this phrase, but essentially bigger fish to fry. We've yeah. got an opioid epidemic. And so that what that signals is that the DEA is not going to be 
um, rating or otherwise interested in these processing facilities. Um, so I, I do think from a risk standpoint, it's, it's, it's not very likely that the VA would do this because most facilities, maybe even all of them would at some point, you know, in, in the, in their processing, um, be non-compliant. Is the VEA really going to go after every processing facility in the country? No, there's yeah. no way it could do that. And there's no reason it should. Right. All right. So not personally concerned about that, speaking personally. Uh, this next one, I think this is more of a concern. So with uh, regarding, if you can explain this part about synthetic cannabinoids, even if they're hemp derived, and uh, you also in the article talked a lot about uh, Delta-8 and how it relates to, um, to what the VA is saying that even these synthetic cannabinoids, um, they're also deemed illegal. Can you expand on that? Yeah, sure. So the other part of the, of the IFR, the interim final rule that the DEA issued, so it, it just sort of reiterated the point that synthetic THC is and always has been illegal. And with that just being the beginning and end of it, I don't think anyone disagrees with. The problem is that it's my personal belief and, and the belief of a lot of my colleagues that what the DEA was actually doing was uh, in a sort of roundabout way uh, referring to Delta-8 THC. And for the listeners that, that don't know, Delta-8 THC is, is one of the analogs of THC. There are about 30 different forms of THC. The one that is called out in the hemp, um, in the, the farm bill with respect to hemp is Delta-9 THC. Um, but there are all sorts of other forms of THC. And so, um, if we think about Delta-8, um, it's, it's, well, by the way, it's, it's a big product now. It, it kind of went from being no one ever had ever heard of it to yeah. right now, it, 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 people everywhere. love it and, and, and it's everywhere and it, people are making tons of money on it. Uh, and it does have, have a psychoactive effect. It's about two-thirds of what Delta-9 THC is, but it, in other words, it can get you high. So with, with that as the background, uh, it's absolutely clear that if you were to you know, pluck Delta-8 you know, off of the plant, so to speak, uh, that that's, that's lawful. Uh, you don't pluck cannabinoids off the plant, of course. But, you know, to say if, if the plant expressed Delta-8 in meaningful quantities and you were able to pull it out and sell that, there's no question that would be lawful. Uh, the issue becomes in how Delta-8 is actually produced in the market. And it's usually produced through some sort of a, of a process. Uh, I've heard it being produced by, by heat, I've heard it being produced by converting other hemp-derived cannabinoids, notably CBD, uh, to Delta-8. And the question becomes, does that process of taking one cannabinoid and, and doing some sort of chemical process to, to end up with Delta-8, does that mean that it's synthetic? And you would think that this would be a simple question to answer, but in fact, the, the case law and, and rules and regulations going back for, for decades is actually fairly opaque on this issue. Um, and so again, if we start at this point over here, that plucking a Delta-8 cannabinoid from the tree is, is clearly lawful, at what point, if any, does, does it become synthetic and therefore a, a Schedule One illegal controlled substance? Um, my position is, I have a couple different positions. One is that um, the mere conversion of, of CBD, for instance, to, well, let's start with heat. I'm not sure how this works. It's a fairly new process I've heard about. Let's say you take a, a, a cannabinoid and you heat it and it, it turns into Delta-8. Um, you're just, all you're doing, you're not doing it. You're not adding chemicals to it. You're not doing anything. You're, you're, you're heating it. And that, that happens naturally. We talk about THCA uh, through heat and time will decarboxylate into Delta-9. 
and no one considers that a synthetic conversion. So I think, um, you know, my layman's in term of, terms of chemistry opinion is that heating it, if, if that in fact works, is, is not synthetic. The next piece would be, okay, well, we'll take CBD. So you take hemp-derived CBD and you convert it by taking a chemical catalyst into Delta-8. Uh, well, again, we, Delta-8 is a natural product of hemp that is not coming in large quantities, but is a natural product of hemp. The CBD not only was hemp-derived, but according to the statute, is itself hemp, because hemp is defined as the plant and all of its cannabinoids, isomers, derivatives. So CBD from hemp is, in fact, from a legal standpoint, hemp, and a derivative of hemp is lawful. Uh, and so that is just a derivative of hemp. Um, and so that's okay. Uh, and, and then if you start looking at to what, you know, what synthesis actually means, um, it, it typically involves creating something um, something that's other than what it originally was in, 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 a, in a big way. So like there's a lot of um, ways to produce cannabinoids through yeast. So you're taking a yeast and turning that into a cannabinoid, that's clearly a synthetic. Um, but where along the spectrum are, are, you know, would this be considered um, uh, an, an, an illegal form of THC uh, due to the fact that it's synthetic? My position uh, is that um, you know, converting CBD, heating it, whatever, um, is not a synthetic. And it's possible that the DEA agrees, to be clear. Um, my concern is that the DEA does not agree. Um, and if the DEA does not agree, then someone is, is going to end up in court on the other side of the courtroom from the DEA, where the DEA says, you're producing synthetic THC, and that person's going to have to prove to the court that they're not. And we don't know what the ultimate answer to that question would be. Uh, and and that, therein lies the risk. And there's been a lot of, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. This is just a no, big no, issue. Fine. I think yeah, it's it really important. Yes. Um, and, and, and there's been, I wrote this article and, and there's been a lot of confusion about it because I'll, I, I wrote the article and I said, you know, my position is this is not a synthetic form of, of THC. However, the DEA contends that it is. Uh, and then I have people arguing with me saying it's not synthetic. And I, I agree with you. It's not, it's not synthetic. Um, but the point is that we don't know what the DEA um, thinks. And, and the biggest indicator that the DEA was singling out Delta-8 to me is the fact that in the context of writing a rule about hemp, why in the world is it talking about synthetic THC? That's a whole different issue entirely. Unless there is a form of THC from hemp out there that the DEA contends is illegal and falls within that category. And the newest, coolest thing on the market is Delta-8. And so you put those pieces together and I believe the DEA was singling that out. Hopefully I'm wrong, um, but we'll find that out. There is a, um, it's likely that we'll see a lawsuit about this issue, I'll just leave it at that. Um, and, and we'll flesh all this out. But that's a big concern for the industry and it's a very complicated one, but it's, it's, it, there's a lot riding on it. Yeah, and I would say if anyone wants to understand more about those points that you're making, you go into great detail about the Farm Bill, the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, how uh, Delta-A or I guess these so-called synthetic cannabinoids relate to the Controlled Substances Act, uh, as well as the, um, what's the AA, the, um, I've read my notes. You mentioned the, I just lost it, but it was the um, the Analog Act. Yeah, that's a good question. Let's talk about the Analog Act real fast, um, and I promise I'll be quicker on this one. But the Analog Act it was 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 enacted by Congress several years ago to kind of keep up with the fact that you know the Controlled Substances Act lists all these different substances and, and where they fall on the schedules. Um, and so, um, but there are these sort of designer or synthetic 
um, drugs that mimic or, or um, the, the effects of other drugs that are on the Controlled Substances Act. So you have drug A um, that's, that's Schedule One controlled, it gets people high, that's illegal. Well, you have, you know, a, a high-tech lab will say, well, we're going to create something that's similar, that does the same thing, but it's not actually this drug. So, hey, so it's not on the Controlled Substances Act, so it's, so it's lawful. And there's no way for lawmakers to keep up with that. The science just always moves faster. And so the Analog Act was created to, to, to capture that, um, those types of compounds. And it says, well, if, it, if it's similar um, in, in structure to the, to the listed substance and similar in effect, well, then it, it's also a controlled substance. And so I've gotten a lot of people reach out and say, well, yeah, well, Delta-8 may not be listed, but it clearly falls within the Analog Act. Well, that's wrong for a couple of reasons. One is that um, that the farm bill overrides that. It says specifically that hemp and its cannabinoids are not controlled substances. So, so the Analog Act does not, uh, does not come in to then render those actually um, uh, illegal again. So the farm bill overrides. The second piece is that Delta-8 THC does not have a similar effect to Delta-9. In fact, the, the clinical studies show that it is, has a reduced effect, um, particularly with respect to um, being psychoactive. So um, get a lot of emails about the Analog Act. Um, it's my very strong position uh, that the Analog Act does not apply to Delta-8. And in that article, you also link to one of those studies uh, showing how, um, I don't know if it was like one man specifically, or maybe several people who uh, were given uh, Delta-8 and how they determined that it was, I believe it was like two thirds uh, as potent as uh, Delta-9. Yeah. So it was, exactly. it did not have the same effect as Delta-9. Yeah, and I can attest to that personally, not that anecdotal evidence from, a, from an attorney necessarily proves the scientific point, but you know, I, I've used Delta-8 on a number of occasions. I'm trying out different clients' products, and, and it, it does have a psychoactive effect, very noticeable, but it's also much less than, than Delta-9 or, or marijuana. You know, the study that you referenced, we were talking before the podcast about how you, you know, you're really focused on health and wellness. And you know, I think Delta-8 is being marketed certainly as, as a sort of a legal high, um, and, and that's understandable. Uh, but also that the study that was referenced had to do with children who were going undergoing chemotherapy treatments who were given Delta-8 um, to, to help them with the nausea and the, and the and vomiting. And not only did, um, did it not harm those kids, but uh, all 100%. Now, this is a clinical study. How often does 100, is there 100% efficacy? But 100% of those um, kids um, were, were aided substantially with their nausea. In other words, it helped them to to, to be, get through the chemotherapy it helped them to to not be vomiting all the time so delta 8 has some real medicinal qualities it is a it is a legit and valuable cannabinoid aside from the fact that it can get you high yeah and i have not tried that myself but i've read countless stories of people talking about helping them with uh, overcoming opioid addiction and mm -hmm. uh, alcoholism uh, just anxiety and all sorts of or all sorts of things and not necessarily to the, to the level of uh, wanting to get high just to get high like there will always be that person right but right. i think that it's it's one of those, those things that has been become available to folks and you know what what they interpret now to be legal you know right now we're talking about that that interpretation um right. but uh, just that it's really helped people and not to get on, on a soapbox but you know then then you start getting into that like well why is that because of it, it, you know the, the argument about uh, alcohol and tobacco right uh, but it just seems like just going back to history looking at how drug enforcement came to be in this country and there, there's a lot of not not necessarily logical reasons for implementing uh, specifically with marijuana, 
Um, oh yeah, there's, we, don't, we don't have to go into that, but there's a history of why. And and you know, and also on the point of of, of you know the psychoactive effects and getting high, I think there, there's a misunderstanding out there that that any products or, or compounds that get you high are are necessarily or should be um, illegal, but that's not the case. You know, kratom is um, is a yeah as a natural product that, that has psychoactive effects that's not listed on the Controlled Substances Act. And then what, what even is the definition of being high? You know, I, I yeah. drink several cups of coffee every morning and that, and that caffeine- um, It's intoxicating. From, 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 yeah, it's intoxicating from, the, from being the morning grump to being someone who can you know, actually you know, have a coherent phone conversation and I feel great. So you know, what does it even mean to be high? And that's, that's almost a philosophical question that we need to go into, but, but to be clear, um, whether or not a compound has a psychoactive effect has no bearing on whether it, it is illegal or on the controlled substances um, yeah. list. Yeah. You can get high from meditation, from breathing. You could, I can attest to that as well. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. So then on the third point, uh, can we talk about the hemp pilot program? So I, I had a couple of uh, clients mention this, uh, I believe two-ish weeks ago, that they were told by North Carolina that they have to have that they have to harvest by October the 30th because the hemp pilot program in North Carolina was going to be expiring. It doesn't seem like the state is going to be introducing uh, a, a pilot program or, or any kind of uh, in-state solution and that folks will have to go to the USDA directly, which opens up a whole can of worms. Um, do you still have time? Or are you still good on time? I'm good on time. Absolutely. Okay. It's an important subject. Yeah. So yeah. Can, can you expand on that? Like what, what are you hearing from folks? Yeah. So the, so the issue for, for the, the viewer out there is that the, um, a lot of states, including North Carolina are operating under the 2014 farm bill pilot program. So 2014 legalized hemp, uh, industrial hemp to be specific, uh, when a state enacts a pilot program that allows, um, farmers to, to grow industrial hemp. Well, in the meantime, the 2018 Farm Bill came into play, which expanded the definition of hemp, removed the term industrial, uh, and, and said, well, that the, the USDA is going to govern hemp production um, unless a state um, proposes and, and a plan that's approved by the USDA to regulate hemp within its borders. And so a lot of states, um, North Carolina included, have not issued a, or, or, or created a plan even uh, for, for USDA approval. And so the, the 2014 Farm Bill and its pilot programs will sunset um, as of the end of October, meaning that they will be done. That's it. The law is, is no longer valid. And so at that point, um, the 2018 Farm Bill comes into full bloom, uh, to use an agricultural metaphor. And the um, and states that have their, their programs of, approved, um, those farmers will just go by that plan. States that don't have a plan approved, such as North Carolina, will suddenly and immediately be under the jurisdiction of the USDA. And the question is, where does that leave farmers? Uh, we you talked we talked about earlier in the in the in the hemp extract piece. Well, what if you've got you know some high THC extract um, for for one hour and then you render it unusable? Well, for that one hour, are you out of compliance? Well, it's kind of the same thing. You've got a hemp farmer who is completely in compliance with North Carolina or whatever state he or she's in laws under the 2014 pilot program and then bam the sunset occurs or you know even if they apply to the usda and it only takes a week and that's a made-up time frame i don't i don't have off the top of my head how long that takes well then are they out of compliance for, right. for for that week before they're under the usda how does that process happen and and so there's all these practical pieces of of going of shifting so immediately from one program to another and to be clear there have been a lot of calls i read something even this morning in the email 
for the USDA to extend the, the 2014 pilot programs because of COVID and everything else um, so that farmers don't find themselves in this in this position. By, by the way, I, I use a lot of hand motions as you can see. Right. Um, but uh, but the, the point being that you know, this is really an abrupt change and we don't know how it's going to play out. Nobody knows. And we're hoping that sometime within the next month or so, the USDA uh, will give some guidance on that. Ideally, the USDA would just kick the ball down the, the road a little bit and allow these farmers to, to continue to grow under the 2014 plans to allow states such as North Carolina, who have not submitted plans, to either submit a plan or if, if a state's not going to, and there are good and bad reasons to, to, to submit a plan and not to, um, to create a protocol for this winding down process of the 2014 plan. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a tough time right now, uh, a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah, and it seems like there are a lot of possible scenarios if the state does not continue with the pilot program. Uh, one being that if you have to harvest by the end of October, not everybody last year, or the, you know, previous years, not everyone was able to finish at that point, right? That, right. that could be a huge issue. Uh, and then the other ones are, I read an article from uh, Marnie Coit. She's a, a, I believe you know her. Uh, she's an attorney. I know Marnie. Yeah, she, she's yeah. an excellent attorney and, 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 a, and a teacher in the ag program at, at NC State. Yeah. yeah, and so she mentioned some of the key standouts. If we go to uh, the uh, to being under the USDA, is that one, like you mentioned, uh, farmers would have to get a license through USDA. What does that entail? What are the costs? Um, can, can you quickly shift over or not? Uh, some farmers are, many farmers are concerned about not being able to grow indoor. Right. That's been a huge thing. Well, right. Here. You think, well, even if I got my, my, my crop harvested by, you know, middle of October, I'm great. Um, and we don't, you know, plant, you know, until spring. Well, then there's plenty of time to get a USA license. But right. What if you're growing indoor and you're on a six week yeah. cycle? Bam, 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 bam. Right. And the other thing is it, you can't right now, uh, the USDA will not allow, as I understand uh, you to, to sort of preemptively apply for a license. If, if uh -huh. a North Carolina farmer were to apply right now, the USDA would say, well, you're still under the 2014 Farm Bill provisions for oh, wow. your state. We can't issue a license. And so th there's almost literally no way to stay in compliance, even if it's for a day or a week or a month. You know, So it's, it's, a, it's a difficult it, Of course, it's possible. The government is not one to act within a matter of a couple of hours. Right? Like, oh, everybody will get a license today if you apply today. In the today. best of times, it's not. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, and so she also mentioned, uh, Barney, in her article, uh, mentioned that uh, testing Delta 9 specifically to farmers, that if the, the crops, if the Delta 9 is hot, um, that, or sorry, that they, they have to test within 15 days of harvest, which one last year that they only tested about 50, 55% of crops in the state. So the USDA federally, how are they going to do better? Uh, and what happens to the people that they don't test? Exactly. Well, this issue has multiple facets, and I won't get into the nitty gritty, but, but right. So what happens if a state does not have the resources to test all the crops or, or otherwise chooses not to, and you've just got a crop? What do, you, what do you do? At what point do you just harvest and say, okay, well, I'm harvested and, and I'm, you know, so that's an issue. Um, for states that submit a plan, part of the plan, and there's a whole list of requirements for a plan to be approved by the USDA, is that the state has the financial resources to implement the plan. And this is a hangout for Georgia because Georgia submitted a plan and the plan did not show that it had the financial resources allocated to administer the program. And it, the USDA couldn't approve the plan. I think that that's been remedied 
uh, although I don't off the top of my head know the, the details there. Um, but so that's an issue as well. And then, of course, if the if the state doesn't submit a plan and then farmers are operating directly under the USDA, um, does the USDA have the resources and what's its plan? So a lot, lot, of, lot of different issues with, with, with no clear answers. So um, the world is blowing up. It's 2020. <laughs> hemp is not spared. Um, so, uh, so we're wrapping up here because I know you have to go soon. But um, what uh, I know you're 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 a professional. You're an attorney. But uh, I don't know if you said this yourself or maybe just by interpretation. But you are an advocate for the industry. Uh, what what would you ask people to do right now? People that are in in this industry. Um, what should we do? Yeah, I think it's really important for um, for people who are in the industry to reach out to their legislators and and regulators uh, to inform and educate. Because I think by and large, um, it, it, you know, hemp is one of those things that is a it's not a blue or a red issue. Um, it's something that that conservatives and liberals and Republicans and Democrats all really like. It's it's kind of the great uniter. And so, but what's the the problem is is that I think you know, legislators and, and lawmakers of all stripes um, don't know that these problems exist. They think, oh, well, yes, rah, rah, hemp, we, we passed a bill, great. Or that bill's coming up on next legislative session, we'll deal with it or whatever. Uh, and, and these are urgent, sometimes complex problems. And so uh, you reach out to your state level lawmakers, your federal level lawmakers and the House and, and Senate, and also to regulators, the, the North Carolina Department of Agriculture or the Department of Agriculture of whatever state you operate in, and also the USDA. It's important. And, and when enough people are saying, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem, then it starts to get heard. Uh, otherwise, you're not heard and, and the, the, the ship begins to sink just because the, um, the, you know, the, the captain didn't know that there was a hole in the hole. <laughs> That's probably a yeah. bad analogy that was right off the top no, of my head, no. but, but you get the point. I, I think sure. education and particularly education for the people in power who pass laws and pro propose and promulgate regulations is key right now. So, mm -hmm. so get on your computers, get on your phones and reach out. Yeah, good. And uh, I would encourage folks to read your articles. I'll post them in the show notes. Uh, I'm sure we can use that uh, or some of that that logical reasoning as to why the DEA should stay out of this and of, you know to try to get uh, the maybe North Carolina to continue the pilot program. You know, whatever you believe about the issue, I think that it's important to um, even if you are somewhat emotional. I think that uh, when when I've seen folks comment with really negative language towards lawmakers or just, you know, like rambling all over the place. That doesn't seem to really make a positive impact on lawmakers reading these things. You know, they might say like, oh, well, this is just some wacko. Like, let's, let's not pay attention to this person. But I think using some sound reasoning as to like, as to here's the issue and here's why uh, we believe that it should be this way or that way. Uh, like, I think those are important things to keep in mind, right? Instead of just throwing out a oh, bunch of curse man. words. Um. <laughs> You're exactly right, Jason. Well, think about it. I mean, if you if you use the the the, the I don't know if it's the power of empathy, but the power of of, of putting yourself in someone else's place. Yeah. And so you're a lawmaker, and you've got you've got all sorts of things going on, you know, and and, 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 and people pinging you about everything. And someone says, "Hey, this thing about hemp is BS," and I'm you know, it yeah. can be a lot more flowery than that, as you yes. you've probably seen. Um, that lawmaker is going to say, "Oh, this is some Yahoo, whatever." 
Whereas if you say, hi, I'm a farmer in your jurisdiction or a, or a processor or a retailer, um, and I am, you know, my livelihood depends on this and it's helped my family members or my customers. And this is the problem that I see. And I, this is what we think is a fix. In other words, to your exact point, a logical flow and, and make it personal because I think that lawmakers are impacted just like we all are as humans about personal stories uh, that make sense. Oh, here's a good law abiding person within my jurisdiction or, um, or, or precinct or whatever. And they're, they're trying to do it right. And they're, they're, they're facing a problem. This is a real problem. It needs to be solved versus, oh, to hell with all those people at the yeah. federal government. You know, that just doesn't do anything. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Rod, we'll leave it there. And since you have to run, thank you so much for educating, for doing what you do. And I hope that a lot of people take action after they listen to this. Yeah. Thanks. It's always great talking with you. I appreciate all of your good questions and insights and all the good work you're doing. Thanks, Rod. Talk to you soon. Hey guys, and before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also, remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from so you get notified when our next episode comes out. And tune in next show and have a fantastic day.